podcast.
And welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It is Friday, October 6th, 2017. That was Tom Petty, of course. Ugh. Uh, happy Friday to folks out there. We made it through another week. Um, trigger warning, this is a news and current events program, so we'll be talking about what's happening in the world and the white men who are trying to kill everybody. Some are in, some are elected representatives of our country, some are not. That's the, that's the mystery. We get to find out who's who. Um, oh. So open up the show with a song that was um, brought to my attention by J.D. Buell, who's no longer with us. J.D. used to host the show Morning Train um, before us here at Mutiny Radio from 10 a.m. to noon, and I hadn't heard that track before. And so I thought that would be a good song to open up the show with. I do have to say, because I guess it's easy to find criticism with everything, 
Uh, and Tom Petty, like every other individual in the world, there's problematic things that happen. And some lyrics, and I hadn't quite remembered that the, the little girl refrain. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable to hear that. And I get it that it's a lot of songs use girl instead of woman. It's just like, ah. Uh, uh, and it's interesting because there's another song of his I almost played, which I like a lot. And then it also has like one word in it. And I'm like, oh, I don't, it's, it's uh, you know, it's like if this tiny part of it feels a little bit uncomfortable, does that mean that the whole thing is, you know, not worth sharing? So I decided to not play that song, but I played a different one and I still found problems with it, which says more about me than probably anyone. And then Breakdown, uh, good. So maybe I was actually also considering just playing Tom Petty for the entire two hours, which is very doable. And I don't know if folks would be cool with that. And I guess that uh, it's up to me uh, with this time and space what to do. But I thought we can talk a little bit about what's happening in the world. And then we'll play some Tom Petty songs in between. If you have any special requests that you'd like to hear, please do call. We have uh, our phone lines are open, 415-550-0511. Also, if anything's happening in the world that you want to talk about, you want to get off your chest, you want to scream about, by all means, please do give us a call. It's uncensored here. So it would be great to hear from you. Yesterday, things that we did hear from that most of us did not consent to were the Blue Angels, who are flying overhead and scaring people and uh, causing a lot of noise. They said that they're practicing. I don't know what they're practicing for. Um, they could maybe practice sending aid to people. That would be nice. If you have the resources to fly planes somewhere, maybe fly to Puerto Rico and you know, provide some aid for people. That's just an idea. Or even people who are not. How about people in San Francisco who need food and housing? It's just a thought. I, I don't run things. I'm not a politician. If I were, I, I don't know how that would look. That would be really complicated. If I, if I had the access to resources like that, to have planes and the money and the, the, the person power to do that, imagine how helpful it would be. Instead, you have a lot of folks. There are people on the streets. I think I've heard statistics of being that like 25% of folks on the streets are veterans. Um, there are folks who have PTSD, veterans and non-veterans, uh, where you hear this this really loud roar of jet engines overhead. It doesn't help. It doesn't help the animals. It doesn't help the majority. I mean, most folks I know, and granted, I get that we are all in our own bubbles. Most folks I know were not quite happy with this, and it was really frustrating and even traumatizing for some people. And if there was a way to get them to maybe not do it, you would think that so many people have argued against it that they they would stop it. But, you know, militarization has, there's a lot of money behind it. And when there's money behind something, morals kind of go out the window. Ugh. Speaking of things to sign, did I even say that? I didn't, but I will. There's a petition going around. There's a lot of petitions. And I believe in diversity of tactics. There's lots of ways. I totally believe in, you know, showing up in person in the streets. I'm a big fan of that. I think if you're able to do that, the more people who can do that, the better. That's great. Um, I also believe, you know, for the, I, I understand, I feel from my perspective, more change comes from outside the system than within. However, for folks who want to work within, I also feel like all, you know, all hands on deck, whatever we can do, uh, that's better. So there's a lot of things happening <laughs> and a lot of ways to help out and not everyone has the same capabilities and the same time and energy to do uh, different things to help out. However, there's so many different ways and so many things, it feels like everything is wrong. Not everything not everything um not everything is wrong i shouldn't say that i want to be careful with the language i use a lot of things feel really backwards we're getting more and more the news from washington dc of just taking away uh 
people's rights to health care, uh, women's rights to and women and and other folks who might need to access. I should I just totally excluded myself there. Tra- you know, people people who need reproductive health care not getting access to that, being restricted from that. Um, they're also going. They want to go after getting all the social media information from like people who are immigrants like i mean they're just going like trans folks um may now get fired like they're just jeff sessions who's gonna breathe anyway they're pretty much going after and then the cops are still killing people it's it's like there seems to be yeah i mean between like anti-black violence um violence against women, violence against LGBTQ folks, another more trans folks have been murdered. It's going on and on and on. And also just, and even talking about this, I'm leaving out people. So I could go on and on and on. A lot of people are in danger and the culprits seem to be state violence. That's my summary. And also the folks who see state violence and are imitating that themselves. And that's, I think, similar to what's happening, what happened in Las Vegas. And that's my own perspective of it. A lot of these folks who are, Murdering people, we got these these white men, cis white men doing it, and they're kind of coddled in the media, as opposed to folks who folks of color who do nothing wrong and are vilified in the media. <sighs> going on, talking about a lot of things here. Going to talk about St. Louis a little bit. I'm going to go back and forth. There's a lot to get to, and I don't take notes before the show, which might make it helpful if I had a an outline of things to talk about. We're at stream of consciousness. There's a lot to keep track of. And it's all happening simultaneously, so that's a lot. There was a, a newscast in St. Louis, and it was, they interviewed the president of the Police Officers Association. They spent, a, they spent like, a, a fair amount of time talking to him and listening to his opinion, and then they had talked to an alderman who was countering that opinion, and they cut the alderman off mid-sentence. He, had like, he maybe got to like one sentence, and they cut him off. And it was just interesting to see how the media, the, the narratives that they decide to share and the people they decide not to listen to. And the the president of the POA was just like, why aren't people, uh, he, was, he was very much upset that people weren't quote unquote, re- they're respecting the police or that it was, it was an emotion, taking an emotional toll on police. Never mind the fact that they are murdering people and not being held accountable. And it's like, maybe if you held, hold your colleagues accountable for murder, people won't hate you so much. It's a thought. Again, I'm not a politician. This is the, one of the few platforms I have putting it out there maybe look at the 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 more global uh perspective here aside from your own your own union there your own police union it's a i feel a disgrace to unions a lot of the time okay so that was one thing another thing i was going to get to we're talking about militarization so i'm going to read and share a petition that folks can sign. I'm going to share it right now, so therefore, if you have access to going online, you will be able to see it. So if you go to facebook.com slash weeklyrev, I've just shared a petition, and it's disarm UC campuses. In an ideal world, um, perhaps colleges, universities, schools of any level don't have security guards or people who are militarized with like guns and weapons schools uh, should be i get that they're institutions and that's a whole other conversation to have and at the same time why are there people there why do we have more cops than counselors at some of these schools i mean they're pretty much the school to prison pipeline it's still gonna it's almost like the schools are becoming prisons themselves if you have guards there and you have officers there with weapons 
at Cal, we've seen. Oh, ah, ah, ah! I'm just gonna yell about it because it's so frustrating. They have provocateurs. They have like right wing folks come in with the, and we're not talking about folks who are talking like, hey, let's have a conversation about economics, which I think is deadly in itself. I mean, if you're talking about people living in poverty that's that itself is violent you're having folks who don't even who just come in to like cause a scene and harass people revolution books in berkeley there were folks who came in two times at least to like harass people there at the bookstore and so they can't really argue about free speech anymore if you're going to harass people at a bookstore your argument falls short also they're fucking fascists the these are the folks coming into town to the right-wing folks just to make that clear if those are the folks i'm referring to Okay, so this petition, disarm UC campuses. We call on the University of California Regents to disarm police across the UC system. This petition will be delivered to, one, the University of California Board of Regents, two, UC Office of the President, three, the chancellor of each UC campus, and four, the leadership of the police officers unit. A unit of non-supervisory police officers who provide the full range of law enforcement services at all UC campuses. It's so gross. Like, our country is so militarized, and it's become so normalized. It's so gross. I mean, I feel grateful that, not that things weren't fucked up in the 90s when I was in school, but, I mean, it was less so? Oh, my goodness. Represented by the Federated University Police Officers Association, F-U-P-O-A. Yeah, F-U indeed. The statement... The continued um, um, armament and militarization of campus police departments is harmful to the safety of university students, workers, staff, and faculty. Historically, and in our contemporary moment, police forces increasingly armed with deadly weapons and technologies of terror have assaulted and killed marginalized peoples and bodies. This means their mission lies contrary to the stated goals of the university and indeed to those of any teaching institution. At a time when university administrators are preempting student protest and criminalizing voices of dissent through force, they are colluding with campus and local police departments' pursuit of greater access to weapons against, quote-unquote, potential threats. Most often, those students, they're supposed to protect. We demand this collusion end, and that the university disarm its policing forces for the safety and protection of all students and workers. If the University of California truly cares for its students, it cannot continue to arm a police force that is part of the academic of police violence across the country. The university is policing knowledge, bodies, and resources. Instead of fulfilling its mission, it is more concerned with maintaining power through coercive force. The University of California should not continue to replicate state violence and domination or act as another mechanism of exploitation. We... The undersigned endorse the university's stated goal of serving society and call on the University of California system to serve its students by disarming campus police. And here's the background. The UC system's academic plan says, the distinctive mission of the university is to serve society as a center of higher learning, providing long-term societal benefits through transmitting advanced knowledge, discovering new knowledge, and functioning as an active working repository of organized knowledge. The mission of the university is to serve society. But whose society is being served when our campuses are patrolled by officers who could end our lives at any given moment? This isn't hyperbole. 
Although we've seen officers and administration laugh off the concerns of students and workers, this petition is a response to the recent police attacks on black bodies at UC Merced and UC Davis in the past few months. What if one of us fails to look like a student? What if the UC officer who pulled his gun on student protesters at UCSF had pulled the trigger? Campus police are not exempt from the systemic problems facing American policing as a whole. Not only are armed police life-threatening, they often target and harass students and workers, making everyday life dangerous for those who participate in campus life. Campus police may be normally separate from other kinds of police, but culturally and materially, they remain agents of the state. There is no magic distinction that makes them less violent or aggressive to black, brown, trans, women, and undocumented bodies. The history of campus policing is rooted not in safety, but in violent exploitation, the protection of property, and the criminalization of black, brown, and queer bodies. The creation of campus police is recent, a white cis heteropatriarchal classist phenomenon that arose as an administrative backlash against the social movements of the 1960s and 70s, desegregation, and increased higher education access for people of color and others, outside the intended elite white masculine population. While the administration pays lip service to celebrating greater levels of diversity, they simultaneously and consistently minoritize students. While preparing for the problems, problems is in quotes, uh, diversity supposedly brings by arming campus police, utilizing armed police forces to suppress student protest, and then looking the other way when police exceed their bounds. Many police departments have used fears generated by school shootings to gain increased access to military-grade weaponry, including automatic weapons, assault rifles, and armored vehicles in Berkeley and in the town of Davis. And throughout this uh, petition, they have footnotes with all of these, this information. Not only does the, uh, this escalation in wep 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 weaponization ignore the fact that white men take up, make up <laughs> they take up space, and, that's my note, uh, that white men make up the majority of mass shooters, the same population that supports police armament so fervently, but it uh, spuriously uh, associates police armament with improved outcomes from these shootings, an argument that is not backed up by evidence. White men are most often perpetrators of mass shootings, yet black and brown people suffer the brunt of these consequences of armed policing. The quote-unquote problem student narrative that accompanies increased diversity allows campuses to avoid doing the hard work of changing disciplinary and judicial structures to hold white supremacy and toxic masculinity accountable. It also ignores the way both white supremacy and toxic masculinity inform police forces themselves, which are composed predominantly of white cishet men. This means universities are ironically arming largely white cishet police forces to fight the outcomes of white supremacy and toxic masculinity. This narrative implicitly associates armed police with greater safety, but this is simply incorrect. Police want us to believe they are stopping campus shootings or preventing them from happening. However, mass shootings account for less than 1% of homicides, and murder generally is on the decline. According to IACLEA, the International Association of Campus Law Enforcement Administrators, from 2000 to 2013, there were just 12 active shooting incidents at the nearly 5,000 U.S. degree-granting institutions, fewer than one a year. And what happens in those rare cases when there is an active shooter situation? Campus police rarely intervene in time. 
then perhaps they need weapons to prevent increases in violent crime? Turns out, not so much. The Bureau of Justice Statistics reports that violent crime on campuses has declined by 27% over the past decade. So there are relatively few cases of mass shootings. Armed police often prove ineffective in stopping campus shootings when they do occur, and violent crime is down overall. Yet police forces continue to ramp up attempts to build up their arsenals on campuses. This militarization often results in greater risks for students, especially those already marginalized on university campuses. Currently, college campuses have begun to see the rising connection between militarization and over-policing on university grounds. Two notable campaigns have been Disarm PSU, which, which has resisted the arming of their poli- campus police on the same grounds we call for the disarmament of our own, and UC Irvine's Black Student Union, which has gone even further to call for the dis- dissolution of the police force on their campus. There is a growing national awareness that police forces are a danger to those they supposedly protect, especially marginalized bodies, for example, people with disabilities, black and brown folks, and trans people. Students and workers on campus are no different from the rest of the population in this regard. The election of 45, I can't even say his name, and repeals to this, to this day on the, one, on the 1033 program, which provided military surplus weapons to police departments free of all but shipping costs, means students are under the surveillance and power of an increasingly militarized police force. Police have also worked more closely with various campus administrations to quell protests rooted in resistance to white supremacist, nationalist, and transphobic systems, and to limit the rights of students and workers. Historically, the UC administration has also used an increasingly militarized police force to push through unpopular tuition hikes. We, the undersigned, see armed campus police as a direct threat to our ability to study and to work safely in our communities. We vehemently oppose the use of coercive, deadly force and technologies of terror to ensure compliance from people with a right to oppose the systems which exploit them. We endorse the university's stated goal of serving society and call on the University of California system to serve its students by disarming campus police. And afterwards, they have a list of the references. They have 20 references, and you can sign the petition. And this is for everyone. It's if you are... Either if you have uh, any, if you, you might not have any affiliation with uh, the UC system, you might be on a member of a campus organization, you might be an undergrad or a grad or an alum, staff or faculty, or a family member of an alum or a student or anything else. So again, everyone can fill this out. If you want to live in a world with uh, fewer militarized police, especially on campuses, definitely fill this out. And you can find this again if you go to facebook.com slash weekly rev and we also post a lot of other news stories there that being said i think it's time for a music break and one of my favorite tom petty songs coming up now
I guess I don't know When I get there I'm learning to fly Around the clouds What goes up Must come down Those are two two of my favorite Tom Petty songs. Ah, just anyway. There's a lots of stories to get to, so we'll we'll do our best. Again, it's a two hour show, so th- not going to get to everything. Uh, finding the the, pro- the systemic problems, and I guess one phrase is follow the money. You know, follow why is someone doing this? Who's going to profit from it? And a lot of these things are really immoral and should not be happening. Such as our next story. And this comes from The Root. Uh, inmates in Louisiana jail will lose in-person visits. Friends and family will have to pay for video visitation. Fuck this. If, for folks who are still believing that mass incarceration, I don't know. The people who believe that mass incarceration is helpful to society, I don't understand. I don't get it. When there is time and time again proven that it is problematic, it's hurtful, it's harmful... It makes things worse. And also, there's a lot of people who are not in jail who maybe should be, such as war criminals, and maybe uh, our commander-in-chief. So when you have folks in position of power who are not being held accountable for their actions, and there are people who are in jail because they've been either profiled or because they lack the funds or for any other number of reasons or because they've protested against the state, that means that the situation is really problematic. We have, in the United States, we have, I think, 5% of the world's population and about 25% of the world's prisoners. Millions of people are in prison. I don't, and I can't speak for anyone else. I know, I don't necessarily feel safe going outside knowing that there are people in positions of power who are trying to kill us. So, uh, uh, it's just, again, another example of how things are really backwards. So, this next story. I'm going to collect myself and going to get to it. So, this comes from The Root, and uh, Monique Judge is the writer of this article. And this came out on September 29th. And when I posted it, my, my only comment was just burn it down. That's how I feel about a lot of these uh, quote-unquote correctional institutions. So, again, inmates in Louisiana jail will lose in-person visits. Friends and family will have to pay for video visitation. Fuck that. That's my comment on it. 
Face-to-face visits are something many inmates serving time look forward to. Being able to see friends and family members in person, to laugh and enjoy conversations together, is a way to make long sentences seem shorter. It helps families stay bonded, helps children know family members who may otherwise be absent from their lives, and gives inmates something tangible to remind them that there is life waiting for them on the outside. For inmates in the Jefferson Parish Correctional Center in Gretna, Louisiana, those visits will be a thing of the past beginning October 10th, when the facility switches to a video visitation program similar to one implemented at lockups in New Orleans a few years ago, the New Orleans Advocate reports. Newly promoted Jefferson Parish Sheriff Jeff Lopinto, <sighs> I get angry even saying his name, believes that there are many benefits. I can't even finish. I'm so angry. Okay. <sighs> that there are many benefits to a quote unquote. Vi- I'm, I'm just saying quote unquote. There's no quotes in the article. I'm okay. To a video visitation system. In a statement on Wednesday, he said that. And also, I'm just going to step in and just say it's so fucked up that we're hearing from a person who's not going to be directly affected by this. He's not someone who has to only talk to his family and friends through a video conferencing call. Okay. So this guy, this ding dong says, uh, one of the biggest benefits would be ending the possibility that visitors would pass contraband to inmates during visits. Uh, if there were video cameras in the station, uh, I mean, there's a camera, but, like, you can't see me. You could just see me eye-rolling, because... No. Okay. In addition, Lepinto said that although both types of visits require monitoring, it takes fewer staff members to monitor video feeds than it does to monitor in-person visits. Lepinto also believes that video visitation will increase the availability of inmates to see their loved ones, although in-person visits are available only for two-hour blocks once per week, depending on an inmate's cell assignment. Video visitation will allow friends and relatives to communicate with an inmate via cell phone or computer nearly 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Sounds promising, right? Too bad it isn't free. Using the video visitation service remotely will cost nearly $13 for a 20-minute session. That price could be cost prohibitive to many families and discourage them from using the service. This means that some inmates could become alienated from their families and friends altogether, and that this is what some attorneys who work in criminal defense and criminal justice are afraid of. Katie Schwartzman is an attorney and co-director of the Roderick and Solange MacArthur Justice Center in New Orleans. She and local defense attorneys Jay Daniels and Craig Mordock all told The Advocate that there is research showing that incarcerated people who have access to their loved ones while in jail have an easier time reconnecting with them after they are released, and that helps them avoid returning to a life of crime. The three attorneys also expressed concern that in this instance, personal contact from the outside world is being removed from a facility that primarily houses people who are awaiting trial and have not been convicted of a crime. Ugh. Ugh. People who are simply detained need access to family members, Mordock said, and in-person visitation is radically different than doing a Skype session. According to the sheriff's office, free video visitation sessions will be made available once a week at the sheriff's facility, once a week at a sheriff's facility in Marrero, Louisiana. Three additional visits per day can be arranged during using the remote service at, at a cost. So, cash bond system, check. Costly collect calls, check now charging for inmate visitations. This is turning into some sort of government fundraiser, isn't it? Uh, I just pretty much feel outraged by this, and 
uh, yeah. Ugh. I, I don't really have anything positive to say, but just how fucked up that is. And these are folks who are, many of whom are incarcerated because they, first of all, they haven't even been convicted of a crime. And a lot of folks who are incarcerated, it's due to lack of funds. So then you're going to charge them to see people. It's just gross and it's torture. All right. So on the flip side, uh, this asshole congressman, there's a lot, I know I should be more specific, has resigned. And we're going to tell you why he resigned. Uh, it's Representative Tim Murphy. Because we have to have some kind of positive things, right? So this comes from a slate pro quote unquote pro-life congressman caught telling his extramarital boo to get an abortion. And this is written by Christina Cauterucci. And this came out on October 3rd. Hypocrisy sucks, but unveiling it can feel as satisfying as taking a gigantic gulp of ice cold nervous sweat from the brow of every very bad man. Such is the sensation that the reporters at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette must be experiencing in the wake of the marvelous scoop they published Tuesday afternoon. Representative Tim Murphy, a vocally anti-abortion congressman from Pennsylvania, asked his own girlfriend to terminate a pregnancy this year. According to documents obtained by the Post-Gazette, Shannon Edwards, a Pittsburgh woman exactly half Murphy's age, of course, with whom he recently admitted to having an extramarital affair, texted Murphy in January about a possible pregnancy that turned out to be just a scare. You have zero issue posting your pro-life stance all over the place when you, have, when you had no issue asking me to abort our unborn child just last week when we thought that was one of the options, she said, referring to a post from Murphy's professional Facebook account that accused America of, I, I, it was just, I'm not even going to read his quote, but it's fucking disgusting and it's this gross bullshit anti-abortion nonsense. And then... Uh, and then he's, he responds, um, he, uh, he's just trying to like misplace the blame. Okay. Um, so right there is a family If you want to see the article, you can also, uh, check out, check out Slate, the website. I just can't really read these congressmen's words because they're just so disgusting. Okay. And I recognize that in telling the story, this article, it's going to be missing a few pieces, but I really just can't repeat this propaganda and this nonsense. It's harmful. It's harmful to my mind and my mouth and uh, the world. So we're not going to repeat it. Okay. That right there is the Family Research Council approved quote-unquote pro-life congressman implying that he doesn't truly believe in the anti-abortion schlock his office disseminates. This is a guy who has advocated for the U.S. government to define life as beginning at contraception, at conception, which would outlaw some forms of birth control and force every woman or person who can get pregnant, I've got to like change this, uh, to birth any conceived fetus against their will. The guy who suggested that his girlfriend abort a fetus, he hypothetically uh, helped conceive, is trying like hell to keep every other woman from accessing the same right. In fact, Murphy is a current sponsor of the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Are you fucking kidding me? A bill that would ban abortion care provided after 20 weeks gestation, defying the protections enshrined by Roe v. Wade. The House is set to vote on the bill on Tuesday. Murphy is far from the first moralizing anti-abortion legislator to apply a different set of ethics to his own life than to the lives of millions of U.S. people his votes affect. It's both satisfying and demoralizing to look back on Murphy's predecessors, such as anti-abortion rep Scott Desjardins, of Tennessee, Desjardins, who's still in office, 
supported his wife's two abortions and was recorded telling a 24-year-old woman with whom he was having an affair that she had to have an abortion to, quote unquote, to get this solved and get it over with so we can go on, we can get on with our lives. Wouldn't you know, he's sponsoring the 20-week abortion ban too. My comment on this is, fuck these people. Why are they in positions of power? And I'm grateful for these women for speaking up. This guy's gross. So I'm glad, so at least this main dude that the article is about, um, Tim Murphy, I'm glad he has resigned and he has stepped down. And if the rest of them were to step down too, that would be ideal. <sighs> Do we have the energy to go into another story or is it time for another music break? Maybe we'll do one song and then go back into people making things bad. Speaking of bad, <laughs> um, here's a here's another song about, but not not anyway. You 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 get where I'm coming from. One, two, three, four. My sister got lucky, married a yuppie. Took him for all he was worth Now she's a swinger Dating a singer I can't decide which is worse But not me, baby I've got you to save me Oh, you're so bad thing I ever had in a world gone mad you're so bad my sister's ex-husband can't get no loving walks around all faced and hurt now he's got nothing head in the oven Not me, baby I've got you to save me Oh, you're so bad Best thing I ever had In a world gone mad You're so bad Oh, 
And welcome back to the weekly review. I gotta tell you, he uses the word girls a whole lot in his songs. Uh, just noting that. Okay. I'm not a songwriter, so I can't really... I can still make comments on it, right? That's good. I still appreciate Tom Petty as an artist, of course, as you can tell. And we're playing more of his music throughout the show. How about some positive news? Or things that are, like, not bad? Can we do that on the show? I think we can. So here's something, at least something in the positive in the right direction, and this is a local story. This comes from the East Bay Express, and this is written by Darwin Bongram, and this came out on October 4th. Oakland approves safe havens for homeless camps and services. Now, we've talked before on the show about how folks were doing a very, like, DIY and mutual aid, setting up their own houses, which then the city were like, nope, we can't have these, and actually sent in the Department of Public Works to come in and take away people's houses that they had built for themselves. This looks like it's something in the opposite direction, which is good, and we'll read more about this now. The village, an unsanctioned homeless camp, was established by volunteers but evicted by the city in February. Oh, that's what I was just talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Oakland cities, and I'm laughing because, uh, yeah, that's I wasn't sure of the name of it, and laughter, ugh, just, it's, I think... I think it's absurd that when folks try to do things to take care of themselves, the state always seems to find a way to undo that. The Oakland City Council voted unanimously last night to move ahead with development of safe havens, safe haven sites around the city where homeless as residents can camp securely and access resources to seek housing, drug treatment, employment, and other services. Similar to the Compassionate Communities pilot that was spearheaded by Council Member Lynette Gibson McCall. McElhaney, the safe havens will include portable toilets, wash stations, and regular gra- garbage pickup. They could also include temporary structures such as tough sheds to allow Oakland's homeless residents to shelter themselves from the wind and rain. Although many details still need to be worked out, the council directed city staffers to move ahead with developing a set of criteria that can be used to locate suitable sites. The city envisions contracting with nonprofits and other community groups to manage the havens, which could be located on public or private property. The city was pressured to take action after the success of the village in an unpermitted settlement, uh, in unpermitted settlement that was built on the grounds of the Grove Shafter Park in early 2017. The village was a drug-free space where residents lived in tents and small shed-like structures built from donated new and recycled materials. Residents set up a kitchen, shared health and wellness information, and maintained a garden, among other activities. The city and police department evicted the village in February, but afterward, its organizers pressured the city to allow them to reestablish similar autonomous camps and permit other sanctioned camps with services to be set up elsewhere. Nita B., one of the organizers of the village, said after last night's vote that her group will seek public land somewhere around the city to build tiny homes and revive their service model. She envisions uh, multiple camps that serve different populations with different needs, including villages for elders, women, LGBTQ, and people struggling with addiction. We also have a model to house families with children and elders who have been recently displaced through gentrification, said B. Others echoed B. It is time we start the gears and allow community-led organizations such as the village to take care of our homeless population, said Candace Elder, director of the East Oakland Collective. City staffers have already identified four possible sites to set up safe havens. They include 34th Street and Mandela Parkway on an unused Caltrans parcel, 3831 Martin Luther King Jr. Way on a city-owned lot, 
East 12th Street at 23rd Avenue on a large city-owned parcel where there is already a homeless encampment. 6th Street from Castro to Brush Streets on private property that is surrounded by one of the city's largest homeless camps. City staffers estimate that the cost of staffing and providing garbage, toilets, sanitation stations, and other services to these sanctioned camps will amount to about $551,330 per year. Groups like the village say they'll do it at no cost using volunteer labor and materials, but other groups like churches and nonprofits will likely require funding. Oakland's recently declared shelter crisis eases regulations and should allow for safe havens to be quickly set up by the city and community groups. Some people expressed concern at last night's meeting that the two of the that two of the four sites already identified by the city are in West Oakland and that the four locations aren't geographically dispersed throughout the seven council districts. You should encourage homeless encampments in all of your districts, said the Oakland Warehouse Coalition's Jonah Strauss. The council directed city staffers last night to prepare the supplemental report for an upcoming life enrichment committee meeting that will include possible locations for safe havens in each of the council districts. Staffers say they will work on writing guidelines to identify suitable sites and to help community groups, nonprofits, and churches and churches understand what they need to do to establish a sanctioned camp. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff supports the city supports the council's action saying in a statement issued yesterday that it allows us to move people off sidewalks and into safety and services. She envisions sanctioned camps housing up to 40 people in tough shed structures with showers, toilets, and services available to them. This is the right now part of the plan said Schaff. It is innovative is an innovative approach to the immediate crisis, a long-term plan to get more affordable housing onto the market ASAP. It's just interesting considering she her actions previously would were kind of against this. So welcome welcome to the present and welcome to reality, Libby. So that is so that's cool. All right. So this is if you can find it again on East Bay Express. Something positive. And again, people really doing it for themselves. I'm gonna also go to another positive story. And again, it's I found a lot of the positive stories are just things that are like we're preventing bad things from happening or trying to work within the problematic institutions and preventing bad worse things from happening. So this is happening in Scotland, which is good. Uh, Riggs from rigzone.com, a site I hadn't been to before. It's about energy and energy usage. Scotland rejects fracking, citing overwhelming public opposition. And this was written by Elizabeth O'Leary. And this came out on Tuesday, October 3rd. And Fun story a friend had posted recently. Scotland in like capital letters with exclamation points. And I liked it because I assumed it was about the fracking story. And it wasn't. It was about soccer or football as one would call it uh, in Europe. And then I realized afterwards (laughs) I was liking it maybe for a different reason. But I also was supporting them. So here we go. In Edinburgh. Scotland will block fracking indefinitely after a public consultation found overwhelming opposition to the practice, the British region's energy minister said on on Tuesday in a victory for environmentalists. Scotland imposed a moratorium on fracking, the process of fracturing underground shale rock to release gas and oil in 2015, and that will now remain for the foreseeable future. The decision taken today means fracking cannot and will not take place in Scotland, Paul Wheelhouse told the Scottish Parliament in Edinburgh. Taking account of available evidence and the strength of public opinion, my judgment is that Scotland should say no to fracking. 
The method has run into stiff opposition in many countries. Environmentalists say it causes problems, including pollution of the water table, and residents of areas where fracking is being considered fear increased noise, traffic, and other impacts. Britain is estimated to have substantial amounts of shale gas trapped in underground rocks, but despite support from the central government in London, progress has been slow as environmentalists and local communities lobby against fracking. The London government approved a shale gas fracking permit for a site in Lancashire, northern England, a year ago, using new powers that allowed it to overturn a local authority decision against the permit the previous year. Gross. In Scotland, advocates of fracking... I mean, first of all, you should be ashamed of yourself. Secondly, uh, say it could offset the decline in North Sea oil reserves and boost the Scottish economy. Yeah, you can't drink money, ding-dongs. But Wheelhouse told Parliament that government's consultation had attracted more than 60,000 responses, of which about 99% were to oppose fracking. Environmental groups Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth both welcomed the news from Edinburgh and said the executive there, run by the Scottish National Party, SNP, was leading the way towards clean energy. This is a huge win for the anti-fracking movement, particularly for those on the front line of this dirty industry here in Scotland, who have been working for a ban these last six years, said Mary Church, head of campaigns for Scotland at Friends of the Earth. But chemical company Ineos, I-N-E-O-I-N-I- in Ineos, I-N-E-O-S. It's, it's, I, I mispronounce things often on the show. I will take responsibility for that. Uh, which has a large Scottish operation at Grangemouth on the River Forth sees shale gas as a potential solution to the decline of North Sea resources needed to provide the base ingredients to make its products. It's a sad day for those of us who believe in evidence-led decision-making, said Tom Pickering, operations director at Ineos Shale. The Scottish government has turned its back on the potential manufacturing and jobs renaissance and lessened Scottish academia's place in the world by ignoring its findings, he said, referring to expert reports which found fracking was safe. I'm curious as to what water they're drinking from when they're faucets, which you can set their water on fire. Anyway, Britain's central government, led by conservative prime minister Theresa May, supports fracking. Of course she does. The opposition Labor Party has said it would ban the technique if elected. Which means, you know, that'd be better. The conservative government in Westminster is now alone in backing fracking and looks very isolated indeed, said Elizabeth Whitebread, energy campaigner at Greenpeace UK. Enios took a different view. Expert reports have clearly stated that this technology can be applied safely and responsibly, but it's not. Sorry. Um, but it will be England that reaps the benefits, said Pickering. All right. So, again, good for people for speaking up, and we need to do that in all in all areas of life. I'm going to read one more story, and then we'll take another music break and we'll get to some more things that are a little bit disconcerting. But, you know. So this comes from the BBC. Catalan referendum, anti-police strike hits public services. And we've been seeing in Spain, lots of folks are, people are trying to, you know, gain independence. And the police were like, nope, can't do that. Sorry. But lots of folks are showing up. I've seen a lot of photos. I saw photos online of police. Uh, I've seen a fire people, people, firemen, fire persons, firefighters. There's a word. There's a gender neutral word. Uh, protecting people from cops. I've seen photos of uh, farmers who have driven their vehicles into the street, like dozens, to prevent cops from coming in. And we're going to hear more about this now. Catalan referendum, anti-police strike hits public services, and this came out 
on October 3rd. You can find this on the BBC. Thousands of people in Catalonia are, are rallying and blocking roads in protest over Spanish police violence during Sunday's independence referendum. There is little public transport across the region after local trade unions called a strike. Spain's King Felipe VI is to address the nation at 1900 Greenwich Mean Time. Almost 900 people were hurt as police tried to prevent the vote. 33 police officers were also injured. Cry me a fucking river. The central government in Madrid said the referendum was illegal. Fuck you. Um, and they have more uh, side stories on this. On Tuesday, about 300,000 people took to the streets in, of Barcelona. City police were quoted as saying by the AFP, AF, yeah, AFP news agency. Some demonstrators were marching towards the Catalan parliament. More than 50 roadblocks in the city caused big traffic jams. Barcelona's metro traffic was cut to 25% service during rush hour and no trains at all other times. Barcelona's port was at a standstill, trade union sources said. Top tourist attractions were also closed, including the city's famous Sagrada Familia Church. Mecrobarna Barcelona's massive wholesale market was left deserted as some 770, 770 food businesses closed for the day. However, the city's El Prat airport and its taxis are operating normally. Protest rallies are also taking place in other major cities and towns of the northeastern autonomous region. Many small businesses have shut, have shut for the day. Schools, universities, and medical services are also closed or operating at a minimal minimum level. And they have photos which are incredible. You see big crowds in Barcelona. Um, you see people with signs. It's pretty righteous. The strike was called in protest at the grave violation of rights and freedoms seen during Sunday's ballot. Some police officers were seen firing rubber bullets, storming into polling stations, and pulling women by their hair. Spanish, Spanish Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy, Rajoy um, has said that the vote made a mockery of democracy. On Tuesday, Spanish Interior Minister Juan Ignacio Zoido said, We see how day after day the government of Catalonia is pushing the population to the abyss and inciting rebellion in the streets. He also warned that the central government would take all measures necessary to stop acts of harassment. Meanwhile, Deputy Prime Minister Soraya, Soraya Sainz de Santa Maria condemned the mafia... Gosh, mafia, mafia's in quotation marks, behavior of these of those protesters who had earlier gathered around hotels housing Spanish police officers and demanded that they leave. On Sunday, more than 2.2 million people. So it's okay, I guess, for the police to harass people, but when, when people speak up, that's a problem. All right, sure. Nice narrative. On Sunday, more than 2.2 million people reportedly voted in the referendum. The Catalan government says the vote in support of independence was nearly 90%. Excuse me, I'm yelling into the microphone. 90%, but official results have not yet been released. Turnout was relatively low at a reported 42%, potentially weakening the position of Catalan President Carles uh, Puigdemont. They have more photos here. On Monday evening, the Spanish national football team abandoned a training session in Madrid after fans booed and whistled at defender Gerard Piquet, who has strongly backed the Catalan referendum. Guard, Guardia civil police mingled among the crowd and as some fans waved Spanish flags and anti-PK placards. PK plays for PC Pars PC FC. <laughs> uh, slow down. PK plays for FC Barcelona, which announced that it had joined the strike. None of the professional teams or the youth teams at FC Barcelona will train tomorrow, the club said on Monday morning. Drum beats thunder and echo up and down. 
and then this is another uh they have another article beneath this and i'm gonna go ahead and read this uh the street will always be ours um it's from patrick jackson from bbc news barcelona drum beats thunder and echo up and down uh leitana street where last night's anti-police protest of hundreds outside the city's national police headquarters has swollen into a roaring human river above which bob the lone star flags of catalan independence as the surveillance helicopters blades beat time overhead vans of the local mosos police slowly negotiate the alleys as the force fulfills its pe- peculiar role as both guardians of their national colleagues and heroes of the crowd who cheer and chant our police are here it's more than a flag it's a feeling says roger mayor 18 and as his fl- friends show off the flags they are wearing we think the spanish government just won us for the money and they hate us the spanish police actions on sunday were surreal i felt like being in a horror film it felt like being in a horror film we spent all day in a school polling station and we were very scared though the police didn't come Xavi Alba, 28, and his mates pass by with a shopping trolley draped in the Catalan communist flag as the crowd chants, the streets will always be ours. It's stuffed with beer mostly, he explains while drinking a can. We go around Barcelona occupying the streets to protest at the repression. It's not about independence, it's about democracy. When we see people with Spanish flags, we just hug them. Yeah, they hug us too. Meanwhile, political leaders are trying to find a way forward. Mr. Uh, Puigmont, and um, uh, apologies again for mispronunciation, has said that he wants a new understanding with the central government in Madrid, but the Spanish government has warned it, w- it could suspend autonomy of the wealthy northeast, northeastern region. Given the chaotic nature of the vote, the turnout and voting figures should be taken with a pinch of salt, says the BBC's Tom Burridge in Barcelona. Mr. Rajoy held talks with Pedro Sanchez, leader of Spain's main opposition, excuse me, Socialist Party, as well as Albert Rivera, the head of the centrist uh, Cuidadanos Party, late on Monday. While the socialist leader urged Mr. Rajoy to hold talks with the Catalan president immediately, Mr. Rivera said Spain would invoke Article 155 of the Constitution, in effect suspending Catalonia's autonomous powers. Mr. Puigmont has called on the international community to help mediate between the two sides. However, the European Commission described the crisis as an internal matter for Spain that has, that has to be dealt with in line with the constitutional order. Ooh. So, and again, this is from BBC, and I recognize it's, it's more of like a mainstream outlet, so wanting to put that out there in terms of its perspective. Okay. Ugh. I hear sirens. Okay. With that, we're going to be playing some more music. And um, let's see what's a good one. There's a lot of good ones. I could just play Full Moon Fever in in its entirety, and that would be great. But we're just going to play selections here and there.
felt so good Like anything was possible Hit cruise control And rubbed my eyes The last three days And the rain was unstoppable It was always cold No sunshine
I feel a lot better after listening to music like that. Also, it just makes it, it sounds so easy. Like I know that songwriting is not necessarily easy or music isn't easy. As a listener, it just sounds, oh, it's just so, mm. I appreciate it. That's what I'm trying to say. So thank you to all the musicians out there for doing what you're doing. Now, I'd rather not have to do this segment on the show However, it's the world that we're living in, and if I don't comment on it, then I'm pretending it's not happening, and that's not good. So there's been an increase in Nazi, like Nazi behavior, and you know it never kind of went away in the United States, certainly. There have been white supremacists who have infiltrated law enforcement and the government. We've been knowing this for a long time, so for some of us, it's not a surprise. However, folks are becoming more overt, and the attacks have been, hate crimes have been on the rise. And it's crucial that we talk about this and not ignore it. And for people who are ignoring it, fuck you. You're part of the problem. And I, I don't mean to... No, I do mean it. Because it's like, you know, when we're dead, then then they're going to come after you next. That's pretty much it. And the world you live in is going to be pretty fucked up. And it's like things have been happening for a long time. It's We have history to look back on to warn us about this. And if you're already not taking action or at least believing the people who are taking action or supporting us in some way, then question why, what good you're doing. If you're not speaking out against Nazis or finding ways for your community to speak out against them or finding ways to support the communities that are most directly affected by them, then you should start doing that now. Start doing it yesterday. So here's a few stories. Uh, I'm going to summarize a couple of them and then read an article that Zarina Zabriskie, who's been on the show before, um, she's been doing a lot of really intensive research on naming these neo-Nazis, like literal fucking neo-Nazis who are coming to town, who are threatening people. And we need to, you know, know your enemy, know who we're, who we're fighting against. So... Um, on, I believe it was on Wednesday, nine New York businesses got letters with a swastika, a Make America Great Again. Um, I'm not even going to read some of the other things. Um, it's homophobic, anti-Semitic, and anti-black language on them. And with the bottom, I'm not even going to read what they fucking say because it's, I don't want to reach, I know this show is traumatizing in itself because we're talking about what people are doing. It's this fucking hard balance of how do you report what's happening without further harming people, you know? I, I don't know. 
it's a difficult balance. I don't know how to do it exactly. And I recognize that it's making mistakes and learning as we go. And at the same time, if we don't talk about it, that's, I think, even worse. The bottom line, which I will read, they say, Christian identity is back. Far Funny, because growing up in this fucking country, I don't think it really went anywhere. You drive everywhere, you see fucking churches. I don't see Christian identity ever go... You see it in the fucking government, you see Christian supremacists. Growing up as someone who is not Christian in this country, it's really... You can't fucking avoid it. You can't avoid, you know, folks who actually... actually claim to represent Christianity because I recognize some folks I met who are, are Christian and actually believe in what it's supposed to be, which is like helping people and whatnot. Some folks uh, say they're Christian and then kind of use that to back their prejudices and their biases and their hate mongering. So Mike, I have a call for the folks out there who identify as Christian. What are you doing out there to protect the folks who these, these quote unquote so-called Christians who are aligning themselves with Nazis that they're doing? The folks who are out there spreading white supremacy homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, anti-Semitism. There are folks out there who are doing that under your name, under Christianity. What are you doing to stand up to them? The rest of us are trying to survive. Okay, so this fucking horrible letter, I can't even, I'm covering the photo right now with my hand because it's a giant swastika. So this, these letters were sent to um, the police, uh, say that they, and I recognize that there are Nazis within the police force, So it's fucking complicated here because who do we go to to quote unquote protect us? They're saying that though that these originated in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Uh, September 28th, several swastikas appeared at Brandeis University in Waltham, Massachusetts. The same day, swastikas were found spray painted at Ohio University. On September 29th, a graffiti swastika and the word soon appeared at North Junior High School in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And then there's, um, we're going to read the article about them showing up in different places, acting up. And also, I read a story recently about a school, an elementary school in Georgia, that had, they're doing a lesson on World War II, and they had students design a mascot for the Nazis. Folks called attention to this and saying, what the fuck is this? This should not, this should not be happening. So we also have to worry about people who are teaching, quote unquote, you know, teaching kids to kind of like this indoctrinated propaganda, which is really frightening. So... Going on to the next, the story, which is like, it's all connected. So Zarina wrote this article from Medium, and you can find it out, find it, find it out. It's, we're at 125. I'm kind of losing it at the end of the show. And this came out on October 4th. Again, neo-Nazi near you, September 2017. Berkeley, Houston, Michigan, Tennessee, and more. And so the highlights of this article, photo reports and summaries from five events that involved neo-Nazi groups in the U.S. during September 27th. 22nd to the 27th in 2017 period. Flyers calling for ethnic cleansing were found on college campuses and community centers in Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Michigan. Neo-Nazis attacked a community center in Texas. Nationalists and white supremacists roamed Berkeley for five days and stormed a bookstore and more. An investigation of the individuals and groups behind these events, links to their financial and ideological supporters. Seeing the connections that are not immediately obvious is a key to understanding the rise of the ultra-right movements worldwide. Learning the history and potential of this social phenomenon provides a platform for action and resistance from a place of knowledge. And also, I'm just going to fucking, you know, make it a comment of how fucked up it is that folks who are marginalized are the ones who are fucking talking about this. The folks who are likely to be attacked. It's people of color and women, LGBTQ, Jews, folks, Muslims, immigrants, 
we're the fucking people who are talking about this. Why aren't the folks who have, who have the most privilege not out there fucking fighting them? Why are we doing the emotional labor on this? Doing the information about this? Seeing the connections that are not immediately obvious is a key to understanding the rise of ultra-right movements. Okay, I read that. All right, here we go. Pennsylvania, one. Pennsylvania, multiple college campuses. September 22nd to 23rd, a hate group, Identity Europa, tweeted photos of flyers posted at Elizabethtown College and Millersville University. Its Twitter account shows the distribution of alt-right literature at over 100 college campuses as part of its hashtag Project Siege campaign. Since spring of 2016, the group posted signs in at least two or three dozen cities using the slogan, hashtag fash the city. So these are people who are fucking identifying as fascists. So for all the folks out there saying we're overreacting, these are people who are identifying as fascists. According to the SPLC, Identity Europa, founded in Oakdale, California, consists of people who are European non-Semitic origin and focuses on recruiting college-age white students targeting disaffected young men by branding itself as a fraternity and social club. Nathan Domingo... The founder of Identity Europa is a convicted felon who helped lead Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Interesting that he's not fucking in jail, right? He learned about the white supremacy and Nazi ideas in prison while serving five years in, five years for a gun robbery, $43, of a cab driver whom he had mistaken to be an Iraqi. At Penn State, 500 people signed a petition for a campus ban on Identity Europa. In his statement, Penn State president noted that the situation is happening not only here but across the nation. Increasingly, hate groups seek to take advantage of the free speech protections that are afforded by colleges and universities. Identity Europa Russia. In the past, Domingo led the Nationalist Youth Front, a youth, the youth branch of the white nationalist American Freedom Party that is listed as a part of the white world conservative movement formed in St. Petersburg, Russia, at the International Russian Conservative Forum in 2015. And they have some images here. Next, Houston, Texas. September 24th, 2017, a group of about 30 neo-Nazis in white polo shirts, khaki pants, and white bandanas covering their faces assembled in front of the community center where a class on how to resist fascism took place at the Houston Anarchist Book Fair. Holding the banner for race and nation, blood and soil, they gave Nazi salutes, lit flares, and tried to enter the building as reported by the Houston press. The phrase blood and soil is a 19th century German nationalist term used as a Nazi slogan in Germany during the 1930s and 1940s, and since then transported to neo-Nazi groups and other white supremacists around the world, according to the New York Times. Patriot Front, the group behind the attack, shares a rambling document called A Manifesto on its website. An African may have lived, worked, and even... Ugh, I can't even fucking... I'm, it's just fucking gross. I'm not even gonna fucking read their fucking propaganda. I'm not gonna fucking read their propaganda. It's fucking gross. It's fascistic. You can read it yourself. Go to Medium and find the article here. And they have a video. I've seen in the video white supremacist Robert Ray, a.k.a. As, Asmador, and that's A-Z-Z-M-A-D-O-R, led the attack chanting, this is our country, blood and soil, blood and soil, this will remain our country. And then they used a lot of epithets and I'm not going to fucking read the epithets that they're using because I don't want to fuck it just fucking it's pretty horrific you have to fucking read this article because I can't even fucking I don't can't even fucking share the fucking words that they're using it's awful on May 13th 2017 in Charlottesville several dozen torch wielding white supremacists gathered in Lee Park chanting blood and soil you will not replace us Russia is our friend 
And then there's the Daily Stormer website, which was taken down. Um, it was getting more than 10 million page views until it was shut down by GoDaddy and Google after remarks about the activists murdered in Charlottesville. It then briefly reappeared on a Russian domain and now reported to be hosted in Iceland. England has been hiding for about uh, England has been in hiding for about five months, and they're just they are supporting 45. It's really fucking disturbing shit right here, and just fucking gross. Next, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm not even reading this entire article because it's really it's bringing up a lot. It's fucking horrible shit. And again, I'm gonna ask folks out there who are not belong to marginalized groups to fucking speak out about this. It shouldn't be the folks who are being targeted to have to fucking speak up and to fucking defend our own humanity here. Grand Rapids, Michigan, September 27th, flyers with white supremacy slogans and addresses of three neo-Nazi and white supremacist websites, Daily Stormer, altright.com, and therightstuff.biz, appeared at the downtown YMCA. And there's another website run by Richard Spencer, altright.com. Gross. Um... And so Richard Spencer has a close relationship with Stephen Miller, a, close, a senior advisor to Trump during their studies at Duke University. And Miller is a fierce advocate of ethno-nationalism, the racist belief that Europe and America must protect their white culture and civilization from outsiders who do not share their Judeo-Christian values. What fucking values do you have? You're fucking murdering people. Fuck you. And moving down. Um, I, ugh, just disgusting. Knoxville, Tennessee, September 26th. Kitty Stryker, a popular blogger, writer for BuzzFeed Vice, Where Your Voice, Ravishly, The Frisky, The Guardian, anti-fascist activist, queer sex educator, and struggle circus ringmistress, found flyers of traditional worker party plastered over one of her performance posters in Knoxville, Tennessee. The group's website reads, it's just a fucking gross shit about white supremacy. I'm not even going to read what they're fucking saying. It's terrible. And they're also just like... Ugh, gross. Okay. And, okay, more information about them. UC Berkeley, we all know, many neo-Nazi and alt-right figures arrived at Berkeley, including Martin Sellner of Generation Identity from Austria, Brittany Pettibone, uh, Unite the Right folks, Gavin McGuinness. During Ber Berkeley rally against white supremacy, a group of individuals openly displayed white power alt-right gestures. Only one person in this group identified as a student when asked, during the Patriot Prayer Rally the next day, another man was making prison gestures while taking photographs of protesters. While the Anti-Defamation League considers okay a sign not to constitute for a hate sign, hate sign per se, it recognizes that it has now become an oft-used prop to publicly signal support for white nationalist policy, politics at rallies, protests, and brawls. Uh, Antonio Foreman, a member of the Oath Keepers, a far-right militia group and bodyguard of Anthem Tim Gionette, a.k.a. Baked Alaska, an open neo-Nazi, and one of the organizers of the Unite the Right rally at Charlottesville, where both actively participated, was present with this set of individuals making white power signs and taking pictures of students participating in the rally, which is known as doxing. Foreman is a bodyguard of Baked Alaska, who is known for his anti-Semitic and pro-Nazi tweets. Jeanette retweets videos of his friends saying that Hitler did nothing wrong, as well as images of people in gas chambers. Jeanette also tw tweeted the 14 words, a neo-Nazi mantra. I'm not even going to fucking read this bullshit. All right. And Jeanette uh, we used to be a tour manager for Milo Yiannopoulos, who made a brief appearance at UC Berkeley campus on September 24th after his quote-unquote free speech week was canceled by the student group. Also, I have to mention the fucking Berkeley uh, College Republicans who are just fucking, they're acting like Nazis. 
we have to say that they also this is aside from the article I saw an invite. They wanted to do a, a march that was for victims of Antifa. Victims of Antifa violence was their was their rally. So I'm guessing they maybe have to exhume some dead Nazis to maybe get some support for that. It's an idea. Uh, Robert Mercer and his family donated millions to 45's campaign and also supported Bannon, the Breitbart News, and Yiannopoulos during the latter's employment at the Breitbart News and afterward. The Mercers donated $10 million to the Breitbart News to Breitbart News since 2011. Steve Bannon, a former advisor to the Mercer family, became the executive chairman of Breitbart News, made it the platform for alt-right, served as a senior advisor at 45, and returned to Breitbart in August of 2017. Bannon hired Milo Yiannopoulos as a Breitbart News contributor, but the latter had to resign on February 21st, 2017, after the scandal caused by his remarks approving pedophilia went viral. After the scandal, a Merced-owned company, Glittering Steel LLC, that shares the address with Breitbart News, sponsored both Yiannopoulos' book tour and toxic college speaking tour in 2017 and helped his visa arrangements. The Mercers supported the nomination of Jeff Sessions, who we all know is... That's my comment on that. Sessions, in his speech on September 27th, following the failure of Yiannopoulos' free speech week at Berkeley, attacked American colleges and universities for being quote-unquote politically correct and announced that the federal government would intervene in cases where it was believed free speech was threatened. How about the lives of students? How about the lives of students? Fucking assholes. Jesus Christ. Jared Taylor, white nationalist, wrote that while 45 was not a racially conscious white man, but men close to him, Steve Bannon, Jeff Sessions, Stephen Miller, may have clear understanding of race, and their influence can grow. I just cannot wait for these people to go away. All right. Or to at least fucking wake up and to recognize that the evil that is inside them. Next, Vincent James of the Red Elephants. As you can see here, there's a lot of fucking people doing a lot of terrible things, so it's up to us to speak up and to act out against them. Vincent James of the Red Elephants, an alt-right group close to an openly neo-Nazi group, DIY Division, was live streaming from Berkeley on September 26, 2017. In July 2017, James live streamed from the Trump National Golf Course in Rancho Palos Verdes during Omar Navarro's fundraiser. Foreman was also present. James made a reference to the 14 words mantra often retreated by Baked Alaska. At the Trump golf course, James also interviewed Roger Stone, 45's longtime advisor. Stone has been Trump's personal friend for over 40 years. Many of him consider him the great cardinal behind 45's rise to power. According to the Washington Times, during the election campaign, Stone drew attention for seeming to have inside knowledge on the WikiLeaks document releases and... Moving forward, the bookstore in Berkeley. I'm going to read about this. September 25th, 26th, dozens of alt-right members, including Foreman and his group, showed up at Revolution Bookstore trying to break in, according to Berkeley side, um, on Sunday, a few hours after Yiannopoulos' brief and content-free appearance on Sproul Plaza. A group of about 40 to 50 people swarmed into the breezeway in front of the store. They shouted, USA! And when they couldn't get into the store because staff locked the doors, they pounded on the windows. It was like a mob, said Rico Redmond, the store manager at a press conference Tuesday night. It was like you see in the movies, like the KKK, but without the sheets. Smaller groups have come back to the store at least three other times on Sunday and Monday, she said. Sometimes they mass into the store and ask for specific titles, such as Hitler's Mein Kampf, Dangerous by Milo Yiannopoulos, or the essential Mario Savio, a book of his writing and speeches. 
Um, Sproul, Sproul Plaza, People's Park, Berkeley, September 26th and 27th, Joy Gibson of Patriot Prayer and Kyle Chapman, a.k.a. Bay Stickman, rallied in Berkeley. Many of their supporters, mostly large males from out of town, wore bulletproof vests, battle dress uniforms, and other militarized outfits. Gibson is known to host open white supremacists, racists, and neo-Nazis like Baked Alaska, Jeremy Christian, uh, a man who committed a hate crime, killing two and injured one person after a Patriot Prayer rally. <sighs> Jacob Von Ott at, at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, in and in downtown Portland. According to BuzzFeed, Gibson pays for sound systems, signs, permits, and transportation for right-wing rallies on the West Coast himself. Chapman is another convicted felon who has spent close to a decade in prison and has an extensive criminal history in Texas and California. Charges include robbery, grand theft, and the purchase and possession of a shotgun and SKS military caliber rifle from an illegal arms dealer. Um, and as Zarina says, as she witnessed personally and also reported by Berkeley side, responding to another protester asking him to discuss white genocide, Chapman said, there is absolutely a war on whites. I'm putting my question mark there because that's fucking not true. And he went on to say that this was not what he was in Berkeley to talk about. And he's talking about white genocide and all this fucking bullshit. That's not true. And that's fucking gross. And then there's also um, a mention here of the Patriot Prayer and the Russian connection. So this article is really extensive. I highly recommend folks check this out. There's also Tampa, Florida. Uh, September 27th. A leader of a small Florida-based neo-Nazi group, um, Adam Waffen, pleaded guilty to charges associated with keeping explosives in a garage. The bomb-making materials were discovered during a murder investigation involving another member of the group. Another member of the group is charged with two counts of first-degree premeditated murder in the deaths of three members of Adam Waffen. And there's so much more in this article, and I need to take a mental health break. And... Tom Petty's going to help us out with this, with a song that goes out to uh, all these, these neo-Nazi fucks out there and the white nationalists and the people <sighs> just need to, to stop their hate.
Welcome back to the Weekly Review. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Um, if you would like to support the show, please know that we do have a Patreon set up. It's patreon.com slash weeklyrev. Folks can even donate a dollar a month. would be super helpful to help cover the costs of the rental of the studio. And you listen to Mutiny Radio. There are shows here every day of the week. And also, I've been sitting in for Heterotopia Monday afternoon, late afternoons from 4 to 6 p.m. If you want to check out that show as well, it's kind of similar to this one. This past Monday, played a podcast, an interview um, from person who was in Puerto Rico providing mutual aid and talking about that and folks actually DIY, getting on the ground, doing the work that the state doesn't seem to be doing or want to be doing or preventing people from doing. So there's a lot of folks who are, you know, actually out there doing the the good work. So putting the word out about that. And I also played a lecture from Howard Zinn about artists in in the time of war, which this was from 2001. And a lot of it still rings true, unfortunately. So it's still like, what is the role for the artist in a time of war? And if we live under state violence, we're always at war. So uh, this two hours kind of sped up really quickly, did not get to everything we wanted to get to, which is usually the case here. But thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate folks who listen. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. And for all the folks out there doing what you're doing, even existing in this world can be a revolutionary act, as we've heard because there are folks out there who don't even want us to don't, don't even want us to exist and are doing everything they can to make it uncomfortable for us and make it dangerous for us and to kind of silence us. So for speaking out, I appreciate folks for speaking out and also want to encourage people to listen to those who are more marginalized than them. That's really important, a really important thing to do. So I'm going to mention a couple other titles of articles if you're curious about reading uh, that we didn't quite get to today. And this was going to go into the last one, but the last one was very intense and long and so much happening, but it all ties in together. And this was about uh, white extremists, which seem to be everywhere. And there's like a long list of killings committed by white extremists since the Oklahoma City bombing. And that's written by Matt. Um, written by Ben Mathis Lilly, and this came out on in Slate, and that came out on um, August 14th, 2017. So this was previous to the incident in Las Vegas. So there's a long list there, and we also have this article shared on the Weekly Review webpage. If you go to Weekly Review, 
no, don't do that. Go, I mean, do that. I don't know what's there. Um, go to facebook.com slash weekly rev. We have that article there and it's a whole list. We have the facts, people. Also, there's an article in The Guardian. We're all connected now, so why is the internet so white and Western? Uh, Google and Wikipedia have a responsibility to see that their content isn't skewed, and we users should hold them to account. And that's, again, in The Guardian, and it was written by Mark Graham and Anasuya Sengupta. And this came out on October 5th. Yeah, and you can find this on the Weekly Review webpage. There's also an article from RFT, the Riverfront Times. Uh, State Representative Bruce Franks speaks out following Tuesday night arrest. And again, many folks were, hundreds of people have been arrested in St. Louis. And here's a representative who is actually out there doing what needs to be done. And this was written by Daniel Hill. It came out on October 4th. So you can check out that article as well. And there's lots more. We didn't get to everything. And how can we in two hours? There's a lot of things to fight back against. So again, thanks everyone for listening. And I'm going to end with a couple a couple more Tom Petty songs. And, um, yeah, again, uh, thanks, for everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next Friday. And thanks for – I'm honestly just killing time here while I pull up this next song. <laughs> I thought I had it um, um, ready to go, and I didn't. So that, I'm being transparent here. <laughs> and – yeah. So again, thanks everyone for being there. And here's a couple more Tom Petty or and or Tom Petty incorporated songs for you all. And hopefully they all kind of went with the theme of the day. So thanks for being here. Well, it's all Wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a diamond ring. Well, it's all right, even if they say you're wrong.
happy to feel that Don't matter if you're by my side. I'm satisfied. Well, it's all.
of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Looking for a personal injury lawyer in San Francisco, look no further than Francis J. Shaheda. Mr. Shaheda did an amazing job with my case. First, he informed the courts about my case that had not been scheduled or submitted yet, despite the language on the citation. I was so confused and afraid of the legal system, but he did it all for me. He communicated promptly via email with any of my questions. I was afraid of an enormous fine for a small infraction, as well as a criminal offense on my record, but he spoke to the DA to have my case removed from criminal court and put into the community court system. I am so overwhelmingly happy with the results he generated and would recommend him to anyone with legal issues. This is a personal first-person narrative because Francis J. Shaheda helped me personally, helped Mutiny Radio go to him for personal injury issues. You can email him at www.personalinjuryattorney.com fjs.com again the law office of francis j shaheda in san francisco do you need an awesome and underground space for an event Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door and promotion.